Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. England and to other churches in our network. Uh, our network uh, surrounds the globe. Actually, our network is, uh, is least represented in the United States. We have a lot of churches in Europe uh, and the former Soviet Union, as well as most of our churches are in Africa. Um, there's close to 11,000 churches that we're in network with. Um, but uh, the reason I bring this up is that um, uh, rotating speakers is, not, is, is more than just rotating speakers. It really is a reflection of something that we value and something that God has called me particularly to and, and on our church to, and that is to train leaders. And so my vision is to be a church that, that uh, launches other churches and every church that we start, at the very first meeting, even at the meeting where we decide we're going to start a church, we say, hey, let's, let's start this church with the vision that we'll start other churches. Uh, because that's the way the New Testament, we see in the New Testament. Okay, In other words, church isn't just for ourselves, but church is about launching other churches. And so I'm just so, uh, in, a, in a good, godly sense, proud of you all. That uh, here we are in Vandalia, just a little over a year after launching Sunday services, uh, um, and we have a, a congregation that's, you know, a bunch of the women are at a women's retreat, and um, we have youth group, and we have Sunday school, and uh, we're doing Sunday morning, we're having baptisms, all of the things, the, the worship team, uh, all locals, all people from this area raised up doing worship where a year ago, I don't think any of them had had done worship in a public setting, uh, except uh, uh, Annie had sang, but I don't know if she'd been on a worship team. Uh, have you been on a worship team before, Annie? Yeah. <laughs> if so, it was so long ago. <laughs> you know, that's great. Folks, we're doing church, and I just want to thank you for being part of, of fulfilling God's commission. You know, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and, and to make disciples. And after you make disciples, you know what you have? You have a church. <laughs> so this is what it's all about. Well, we're talking about church today because it's part of our series uh, going through our non-negotiables of our faith. These are our core doctrines. <clears throat> and it's based on the Nicene Creed. Uh, which was written way back, and it wasn't actually written, but it was formalized. It was accepted as as um, as uh, 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 something that uh, has authority within the church in 325 A.D., <clears throat> almost 1,700 years ago. And it was actually based on the Apostles' Creed, which is a shorter version. Some churches still use that. That uh, they don't know when that was written, and they think it was written possibly by the apostles. That's what the uh, uh, the um, some books uh, write, and commonly understood at that time, it was accepted that it went back to the first century church, the early church. And the Nicene Creed just added a few things and clarified it. And so the church throughout the world has been using this <clears throat> to um, to stay on track, okay, uh, to know what is what is legitimately Christian and what isn't. And so it's, it's a very good, concise. Uh, statement of our beliefs, and so we're going through it, and we say it every Sunday that we do communion, but I've often thought, you know, do people understand? And so that's why we're taking time to talk through uh, uh, each part of this and asking, what does this mean? Why is it important? And then how should it shape us as Christians? <clears throat> so that's what we're doing. And so we're going to we're gonna say the Nicene Creed. You, won't, you don't have to stand. You've just been standing for a long time. So uh, could you say it, though, out loud together? All right. So we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, He rose again according to Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Now this is the part we're going to talk about today. That's why it's underlined and in bold. We believe in one holy, universal, apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So Anthony Davis will be here uh, next week to talk about that last uh, sentence, looking forward to the resurrection. But today we're going to look at this idea of the church and what is the church. Uh, after looking at the nature of God, seeing that He, he uh, God is presented throughout Scripture as a Father, uh, as the Son, Jesus Christ, and as a, a Holy Spirit, <clears throat> we looked at the work of Christ, we looked at salvation, we talked about uh, Christ's return. We're now going to look, just for a little bit, talk today about us. Because the church is the fruit, the produce, the result of Jesus' work, what He did. Um, and so, in our day, maybe you've run across this, maybe you haven't, but you probably will if you haven't, is that the church is really belittled by many. Many, many people in our day, and more and more, it's getting almost like it's optional. In fact, I would say in our culture, it's, it's less than optional Many Christians, um, even Christians, let alone unbelievers, think that it's negative. There is a negative connotation associated with church. <clears throat> and people say, if you want to know where the United States will be in, in, in 15 to 20 years, look to Europe. Okay, Look, look to particularly England. Culturally, they lead us culturally. And I have a lot of friends that pastor churches in England. And... Um, I was talking to, he's been here, Rick Olin, who pastors, he, he formerly pastored in London, and now he's up in, uh, in, uh, Lytham St. Anne, right on the Irish Sea. And he said, you know, in, in England, no one even thinks about church. It's not like they have a negative association with church. They, they, they think of it like they would think of a museum. Seriously. Like it, it, for the normal person, and the majority of people in, who just going about their daily life, it is almost not even an option. It's just—it's so disconnected from every aspect of, of life. In America, we still have uh, a large influence uh, uh, from the church uh, for many reasons, and we need to be thankful for that. But what's happening is the people that uh, affect the culture and the dialogue of of our culture, the topics that are talked about, the themes that are portrayed in the TV shows and the movies and the news reports, all of it uh, ignore the church, ignore the church. Or if they do anything, they say something bad about the church. You know, they're really, really amazingly quick to, to take a mega church pastor and plaster him on the TV when he's found out to do something immoral, you know? But if, if 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 there's a pastor that's that's serving his heart out and just uh, helping the poor, uh, I know this pastor. I, I I don't know him personally, but pastor in Chicago's just growing this church. He started in the in the slums in Chicago, and he just started ministering to prostitutes. And he literally, it's a crazy story. He he had his staff, his his administrators, the women in his church. He said, go out and hire a bunch of prostitutes. And they were like, what? What are you talking about? Just, just go pick them up and bring them all here. And we're going to deck out the church to make it look really nice. And so now they started doing a special service just for these women. And so they actually pay them so that they don't get in trouble 
and then they treat them like decent human beings and they communicate the truth of the gospel to them. And like just scores of them are getting saved and getting rescued from that lifestyle. Uh, because this guy's, and you don't see that plastered on TV. You know? <laughs> and so what's happening is our culture is belittling church, but it's important to understand that uh, believing in the church, just like we say, I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that He died, I believe that He rose again, and that says, I believe in the church. And so I want you to understand this. All throughout time, for thousands of years, core to Christianity is this aspect of church. I believe in the church. And I can say wholeheartedly, folks, I believe in the church. Right? <laughs> and you know what? <clears throat> the reason a lot of people belittle the church is because they've been hurt by church. They've had bad experiences with church. Let me tell you, for over 25 years, I've worked full-time in church. I've had more bad experiences with church than you have. <laughs> I guarantee it. You take anybody on the street, anybody that's got an issue about church, and I would guarantee that whatever they've experienced, I could tell them stories that would curl their hair. All right? Because I'm dealing with, you know, church is people. You go, well, you're in leadership. Listen, when you're in leadership, everybody aims a target at you. <laughs> All right? Every week. And you know, and through that, I believe in the church. I believe in the church all the more. I think it's crazy that God designed this type of organization, system, methodology, whatever you want to call it, as the means through which He was going to He He chose to communicate His gospel throughout all generations. All right, I'm like, wow, Jesus, why don't you just send angels and you know? And, and, and declare it like from space. <laughs> so nobody could argue about it. But that wouldn't accomplish what he wants. Because he's designed church to produce a group of people that stick together through thick and thin. A group of people that learn how to overcome offense and differences. And all of that happens in church. That's why I believe in church. So this little phrase that we're going to take, that, that one sentence out of the creed, sums up so much about our understanding of the church. So we're just going to talk through it. First of all, <clears throat> we believe in one church. You know, the Bible says, uh, Paul explaining this idea. In fact, the creed statement uh, is practically taken from, from Ephesians and Colossians, a couple of verses. Um, uh, but it says, there is Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, explaining to them this idea of what church is and what God intends it to be. And he says, there is one body. And the word body in context there is talking about the, the local church, is talking about the church, uh, the uh, Christians, is not only locally, but uh, the entire church. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So do you notice the emphasis on the word one? He kind of repeats it over and over and over again. Yeah, that's because there's a, he's trying to communicate the absolutely essential nature that we understand that there's one. Uh, and it's all integrated. And so there's one church, there's one body, just as there's one spirit. And another place where he's writing to a church in Corinth, he says it this way. <clears throat> he says, for the body, and in, in, in this, in the context of this verse, he is comparing the church to a physical body. He says the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body. Uh, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So he's saying, just like your body. <clears throat> How many people have bodies? Are you sure? A few people not sure. <clears throat> so, and our bodies have different members, right? different parts. How many have a right hand? Why don't you lift your right hand up? All right, right hand up, lift your left hand up. Okay, 
put your right leg out, put your right leg back. <laughs> all right, now we're not going to do that. Come on. <laughs> so, but all of these are different members, but they're one body. So there's there's separate parts, but all of them together make up one body. And saying, God designed it that way to teach us something. And I like to kind of move it to a further degree is that Paul had no idea of the extent to which this illustration applies because Paul knew that there were different parts, like there were bones and there were legs and arms. We didn't realize that there were cells, you know, and all the blood vessels and neurons and all the stuff that we know that make up the body. Like there's tiny little parts that we don't even know, but so control everything about us. Most of what you feel when you say you're feeling sad or you're feeling happy, you know what those ha- you know what that feeling is? It's a hormone. It's a chemical released by a little gland. And you know what glands look like? They look like little little squishy balls of gunk. If you saw a gland sitting on the table, you'd throw it away and go, ugh. <clears throat> but those little things actually release chemicals into your body that make you feel happy or sad or anxious. And, of course, it's a big system. It's a, it's a complicated system. And, and the God, and God knew this when he put it in Scripture. He designed the body. He knew this really well. And he's saying, that's what church is like. It's a complicated system of a whole bunch of little parts that work together that affect every other part. <clears throat> okay, so what does this mean? Uh, so what does it mean that we believe in one church? Well, it means that unity with diversity has always been a trait of, of God's people. So unity, that we're one, even though we're different, we're different parts, has always been an important aspect of God's people. That's how God designed it. Even in the Old Testament, you have the tribe of the nation of Israel, all the descendants of Abraham. But you know what? They they were in 12 different tribes. And they all stayed together. They camped in different spots. When they wandered through the wilderness, they would all, the tribe of Levi would all camp over here in the tribe of, we think, It's been a while. <laughs> uh, Asher would uh, camp over here. Uh, Naphtali would camp over here. And there was a specific order and they had separate leaders. And I'm sure they were like, oh, those guys over there, they're, you know, they're, we don't like hanging out with them. You know, this is part of human nature that our tribe is better than your tribe. And Saul was from Benjamin, the smallest of the tribes, and you know the poorest, and different tribes. Judah was a strong tribe, a large tribe, influential tribe. Um, in the early church, we see it as well. <clears throat> oh, even after they got into the Promised Land, they all settled in different parts. And in fact, a lot of the history that you read throughout the Old Testament is the different tribes fighting with each other, as well as with all the... Uh, 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 the uh, pal- uh, the uh, the enemies, <laughs> Philistines, <laughs> not Palestinians, <laughs> Philistines, and all those other people, right? And then you have in the early church, you have the church in Corinth, you have the church in Rome, you have the church in Ephesus, and the list goes on and on. Uh, and so, in the early church, we have different groups that all make up one church. <clears throat> Multiplicity of congregations. Um, and expressions of the church does not diminish the eternal truth that there's one church. And so, so let's just bring that to today. You know, here we are. We're starting a new church in Vandalia, in Cass County. That's great. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that the other churches are bad and we're good. No, we bless these other churches. We pray for it every Sunday. Because it's going to take all of us. There's 52,000 people within the 20-minute drive of where you're sitting. How are we going to reach out? We can't fit 52,000 people in here. <laughs> you know, but if every church reached their capacity, you know, usually, I haven't studied the numbers down here, but I know in Kalamazoo that uh, there's enough churches that we could, we could reach every, everybody in Kalamazoo County if the churches were just filled, you know. And so our goal is, let's fill this church and let's fill every church. Uh, <clears throat> and, that, and the fact that they sing different songs or their service looks a little different is part of, the, of our strength. It's not part of our weakness, okay? Um, that division, when there's division within the church, <clears throat> it reveals an infection uh, that comes either from the world 
or from the enemy. Alright? And so an infection is when one of your body parts, you know, swells up and there's something wrong with it. And it's really at war. Right? There's like a little war going on in your body. And that's what division is in the body of Christ. And the infection can come from the world. Just mindsets that we pick up from the world. It can come from our own selfish ambition or, you know, stuff that's going on in our heart. Or it can come from the enemy. The enemy's called the accuser of the brethren. The enemy doesn't go around accusing the world. He doesn't want to draw attention to that. He goes around accusing, hey, you know what? That church down the road, they're not, or that person on TV, or that person next to you in the pew, they're not that good of a Christian. You know, or you're a lousy Christian. Why are you even going to church? You call yourself a Christian? And so all of those things. And so that division within the one church is a, is just a, a reflection of, uh, of an infection. Uh, and it's something that we want to guard against. It's very important. Jesus talks about how important this is in John. He's, when he prays to the Father, he says, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the disciples that were with him, you know, the, the men that had followed him. Uh, he says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, <clears throat> I love this scripture because this scripture, Jesus is talking about you. Because you believe in Jesus because of His disciples' words. Jesus never wrote a book. You know that. We don't have an MP3 recording of Jesus' teaching. His disciples wrote the book. Alright? And preached it. They preached it and preached it and preached it. And a few of them wrote it down, thankfully. (laughs) Uh, And because... One generation preached it to the next generation that preached it to the next generation. You're sitting in this room today and I'm standing here talking about it because of the, and Jesus prayed for us. And what did he pray? That they all may be one. Wow. This is important. If this is the focus of Jesus' prayer. And he goes on, he says, as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How important is this? Well, one, it's a reflection of God's nature. Jesus prayed that our unity would reflect the unity of the Trinity. Wow! We're called to reflect the very nature of God. And secondly, Jesus says that if we can live this way, it will actually help those folks that are yet to be part of God's church, yet to come in and experience the love of the Father, the fellowship of the, of the saints, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, yet to receive salvation, they are going to be convinced because they see our unity. But when I see Christians criticizing other Christians or, 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 or talking evil of other churches or ministry, I, I just it grieves me because I... They don't get that, hey, this is why we have to be in unity. Alright? <clears throat> it should shape us. We should recognize that our, the unity of the Spirit is more important than minor differences. Listen, I don't agree with every other ministry or every other church. I don't agree with some of those people that are on TV. Alright? <clears throat> but you know what? I don't agree with everything I say. I'm serious. Like after church, I'm like, I can't believe I just said that. That was ridiculous. Or you think back, did I use, I used to say that? Oh, that's stupid. You know? Alright, so it's not about getting everything exactly right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll just use some example. I don't know where, different people are different places, so it kind of, if I pick a particular big name preacher, you might love him <laughs> or her, or you might hate him or her. But, you know, usually successful people will get picked on. So someone like Joel Olstein, which I think he's doing a great job. You know? Do I agree with everything he says? No. But is he doing an amazing job? Yeah, he's getting like thirty to 40,000 people to come into his church. And, and yeah, he preaches a certain type of gospel and it's different than what we would preach. But you know what? People are encouraged by it. And I'm not going to speak evil of it. I refuse to speak evil of it. <clears throat> 
All right? Because unity is more important. And some people criticize, you know, people that we hold in, in esteem. Bill Johnson, <clears throat> great Bible teacher, great, amazing uh, teaching on the, the things of the Spirit. But people criticize him. Like there's websites dedicated to criticizing him. Right? It's just crazy. <laughs> I once found a website that was like, these are all of the apostate, uh, you know, the, the heretics of our day. And I read through the list. I was like, everybody on the list was anybody that had done anything. You know, the only people that weren't on the list were completely, you know, unknowns. Because the person who made that list was all about attacking popular people. You know, so like, because you can always find something to disagree with if you listen to their tapes long enough. You <laughs> pull something out of context. Anyway, so we <clears throat> we recognize the unity of the spirit is more important. Um, we live in, in unity and honor with uh, one another, even if we disagree. Now, this applies to the people in the pew next to you. It applies to the church down the street. And it applies to the ministry that you think is, oh, you know, boy, they have some good things, but there's some really wacky things. That's okay. You can say, you know, like, I'm not part of that group, but I'm not going to speak evil of them. We never speak critically of other members, other churches, or other ministries. Now, there's a different thing, difference between speaking critically and, 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 and speaking appropriate concern. And so if you have a concern about another church or ministry or person, you can come to someone in leadership or someone that you trust and say, well, I just don't know. I mean, so-and-so said this. What, what does that mean? And you might go, well, I don't know what it means. We'd have to ask him or her, wouldn't we? But we're not going to judge them or criticize them. We're going to pray for them. Because our job is to represent Jesus Christ, not criticize His bride. That's the big underline. Alright? Our job as Christians, keepers of the truth, right, is to represent Jesus, not criticize His bride. You know, if you, if, um, if, uh, if you, if you met a newlywed couple, right, and they'd just gotten married, and, 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 and he brings in his bride to introduce you to him, uh, introduce you to her. And she goes, wow, this is my new bride. We just got married last week. And he looked at her and he said, wow, man, you married her? And did you look at her? <laughs> what would be the appropriate response for that young man? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Deck you. I mean, that would just be the appropriate response. He should hit you in the face as hard as he can, you know, and kick you, right? And so Jesus says the church is his bride. I, I fear for those who offhandedly point out the warts on Jesus' bride. They might be one of the warts. <laughs> you know? Are you hearing me? All right, this is important stuff to me. It's is really, really, really. Uh, so the next line says, uh, so, so we don't criticize his bride. We say, wow, Jesus, your bride is amazing. Because you're amazing. And yeah, there's lots of stuff that, that's crazy about the church. But we focus on Jesus. And then it goes on is that we actually believe in a holy church. Christ loved the church, Paul explains this in Ephesians, and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now, if the church needs to be sanctified and cleansed, this implies, this tells us that God knows that the church isn't fully clean yet. It needs to be washed. It's okay. It's like God understands this. All right. And, and so we need to understand it. Uh, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So in other words, this is what's happening. But we acknowledge that it's a process. So this means, first of all, that God sees his church as holy, set apart, sacred. The church is holy. We believe this. It's part of traditional Christianity. It's to be reverenced, held at honor with honor and value. But it's not yet perfect. And it's in process. And it's Jesus Christ Himself who is perfecting the church. So you know what? 
You can't make yourself perfect. As hard as you try, you will fail. And figuring out that you can't do it is a big part of the process of sanctification. Because you have to come to the place where you say, I can't do this, God. And He says, yeah, I know. I have to do it. I'm the one who perfects you. I'm the one who sanctifies you. I'm the one who cleanses you. And you go, cleanse me, Father. Cleanse me, Jesus. Perfect me. Change me. He says, thank you. I will do that. You see that process? It's so different than I can make myself right. I just follow all the rules. It's totally, it's total dependence on Him. So if it's Jesus' job to perfect the church, we believe that and we honor that. And so when someone else in the church isn't perfect yet, we don't try to fix them and we don't demand that they fix themselves, but we pray and believe that Jesus is going to be able to uh, finish what He started. So this is important because the holy nature of the church reflects God's nature. And, uh, and that we are, that we understand this. And if we don't understand this, if we don't turn our thinking to become in alignment with God's thinking concerning the church, you'll never figure out this church thing. You'll always be uncomfortable. You'll always be grinding against it. Does that make sense? No? If you are discontent with church or always struggling with the imperfections and the inadequacies of church uh, and you don't realize that church is holy despite all of that, you're never going to get what the purpose of church is. And so that applies to this church, this local church. We're not perfect. Last week we couldn't get the computer to work. <laughs> all right. But we're holy. You're holy. I mean, this is a sacred assembly. God calls it that way. And so we treat it with as though it were sacred. Because it is in God's eyes. Paul says it this way. I love this verse. It's often skipped over. Most people don't even know it's in the Bible. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, I'm jealous for you. I am je-. You know, jealousy is, is not a, a, a mild emotion. It is the most intense emotion. Paul knew all the Greek words. He was a scholar. He could have used any word he wanted, but he chose this word to communicate the, the, the intensity of his feeling toward the church. He said, I'm jealous. And he goes on and says, I'm jealous with the jealousy of God Himself. In other words, that jealous passion that God feels toward His bride, Paul felt toward the church in Corinth. Right? And this church in Corinth was messed up. <laughs> it was not perfect. All right? They had all kinds of things messed up. And he said, I promised you, and this is, this is, he's saying, this is why he's jealous. This is why he has these passionate feelings for, for this, this strange thing called the church. He says, because he sees the purpose. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. He says the reason he's jealous is that he sees that we are the bride of Christ. I prayed on the way down here. I said, Jesus, I'm coming to serve your church because I love you. That's my motivation. All right? And that's not just because I'm a minister. <laughs> I'm a minister because of that. <laughs> All right? But that's for everyone. We all need it. And so this should shape us. It shapes how we see ourselves. It shapes uh, how we act toward reverence uh, to the church. And hopefully it should cause you to strive to live holy so that you accurately represent Jesus to the community. All right, moving on. <clears throat> we believe that the church is universal. This means that there's one church, not only uh, in, uh, uh, in our unity of spirit, but it's, it's universal throughout all time and throughout all geography, throughout the whole world. And it also means that there's, and this is a thing that the, the writers of the Nicene Creed were really addressing is that there's not a, a hierarchy. There's not a spiritual hierarchy levels within the church. There's not secret church. And um, in their day, there was a whole groups of people that were secret church. And they said that if you're part of our church, you're part of the real church. And there were secret ceremonies and secret things that they would have to learn and agree to that would make them more spiritual than the other church. 
And you think, well, that was, that was a long time ago. And listen, let me tell you, it still exists today. And it happens to exist even in kind of like our stream of churches or charismatic churches that believe in the gifts of the supernatural. Because when you experience something supernatural, then you think that those who haven't experienced similar things are somehow less than you. But that is contrary to the very nature of this creed and the nature of God's view of the church. All right? There's not secret levels. There's no secret levels. Okay? He's removed the veil and there's one church. It's universal. There's no hierarchy. I don't care if you are a famous preacher traveling the world in your own private jet. You're not more holy or closer to God because of it. You're actually higher at risk and will come under higher judgment. <laughs> because every word you say will be judged not by me, but by the church, by God. You know, he said that in the scripture. So he's not more valuable than the least of us in this room. I'm not more valuable than you. We're, it's, it's one. And this is important because it, it represents purely the nature of Christ's bride and the character of God. The unity of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which one's more important? I don't they don't compete. You know, they're in unity. And that's what we're to re- reflect. And so it should shape us. And Paul describes how it should shape us. In uh, writing to the church in Philippi, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than himself or yourself. And so, how we relate to others within the church and how we relate to other churches of ministry and how we relate to believers throughout the world today should be, hey, nothing of self-conceit, everything of lowliness of mind. They're more important than me. Do I agree with everything the, the Pope says? <laughs> no way! But do I bless him and am I glad that he's up there talking about Jesus? Absolutely! Alright? Does that make sense? <clears throat> Alright? Um, so, uh, we believe in an apostolic church. This is an important word. Um, apostolic is a delegate, an ambassador of the gospel, a com- officially a commissioner of Christ. So what the word apostle literally means. It, it also means with miraculous power. They represented Christ through miraculous power. It particularly means one who is sent. Okay, so when we say I believe in one holy universal apostolic church, we're talking about the nature of church is apostolic. Now, that's not a word we use in our day, right? And so we've got to explain it. And when it's translated into Latin, it's missio, from which we get missionary. Right? And so you could say, we believe in a missionary church. Well, what does that mean? It means that the purpose of the church is outward focused. It's missional. That's how we, that's the word we use in, in the English language in our day. Is that we want a missional church. That's why I'm here in Vandalia. Fifty minutes away from the church that I serve in Kalamazoo. And why we sent a church, you know, 16 hours away to South Carolina. And a church in London. And a church in Japan. And right now I'm working with a couple that's, that's in China that they're going to be moved to Thailand. Because we're missional. All right. There's, that's why I keep telling every time I'm here, I'm like, guys, there's 52,000. Where are those 52,000 people? They must hide behind the trees. <laughs> but they're there, right? The Census Bureau tells me there's 52,000 people and there's counting. And most of them don't know Jesus and aren't connected with the church. And so our job is to be about them. All right. That is essential to the nature of the church. The church is an army, not a hospital. Who wants to live in a hospital? Who wants to be a member of a hospital? Nobody. Even the people that work there don't like it. Alright? But we have an idea that sick people go to the church to get healed up, you know. Well, that's true. All armies have hospitals, if you're a good army, to, to heal the people that get wounded so that they can go back out and be effective in the army. But our army has a mission, has a purpose. And our army is a spiritual army to communicate the gospel, the hope of salvation to the whole world. And so this should shape us that the church isn't about me. 
When you, when you join the army, you're not there for your own sake. It's like, hey, what do you mean? What do you mean I gotta go march? I don't wanna march. No, you just don't do that, right? Right, Chris? When it's time to march, you march. <laughs> Chris was in the army. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's other vets here. Um, <clears throat> we're part of an army and we have a mission and the mission is apostolic. It's to reach out. Alright? And the thing is, is that <clears throat> evangelism is at the core of the identity of the church. And we actually find what we're looking for, for us personally, when we, when we come into agreement with that, when we start living that. Because when you start serving God and you start ministering to them, it may not be that you're a great evangelist, but you might be able to invite your neighbor over for dinner. Or you might be able to sit down and talk with someone that's, that's, that uh, looks lonely. Or you might see somebody in the grocery store that's just, that's frazzled. And you might be able to help them. There's little things that you can do to express the love of God. And that's being part of the army. And then you bless them. You pay for their groceries or whatever way that you uh, can communicate the love. Got to finish up. One baptism for the remission of sin. One person asked me, what's the deal with the one baptism? <laughs> Why is there an emphasis on one baptism? There's two, two reasons. One is that baptism in that day was a very common religious uh, Trait, and in most of the world, if you're a Hindu, there's baptisms for everything, okay? Uh, <clears throat> it's just a regular ritual. In a lot of different, uh, Christians, that there, there is multiple baptisms. But in Christianity, there's one baptism. And so there's a big difference between how baptism is used in other, uh, religions. And they wanted to clarify that. Aren't you glad you don't have to get baptized after every time you sin? Like we could have the baptistry. Everybody who's sinned this week, we're going to baptize. <laughs> you know? Thank God, right? Uh, uh, that's because baptism doesn't technically wash you of sin. All right, It's Christ's death. And so the reason this is important is that we teach in one baptism because we understand baptism to mean something specific. And that specific thing is explained in the Bible. It says that for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with Him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So when you got baptized, whether it was in this tank or in a river or whatever, you were buried with Christ. And so the power of baptism in the Christian faith is the power that was displayed in Christ's death and His resurrection. It's not a religious ceremony that purifies you. Okay, it's coming into agreement with Christ's death as payment for your sin and his resurrection as empowering you to new life. And so the reason there's an emphasis that there's one baptism is it emphasizes everything in Christianity points back to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And baptism is one of the primary ways that we connect with that. And so it should shape us by, you know what, you need to be baptized. And you need to live in newness of life. You need to live as new creations. Uh, you, you were set free from the power of sin through baptism. And so you can live sin free because of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. And as you celebrate it in baptism, as you enter into that in baptism, you, uh, you gain, you, 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 uh, participate in the same power of His resurrection. Alright, so we're just going to close up <clears throat> and the response is we believe in one holy, universal, apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin. You know, can we just close our eyes right now? <clears throat> and uh, I just want to pray over you. Uh, Father, we come to You in Jesus' name and we repent, Lord, first of all, of all criticism and complaint. And just on behalf of this congregation, Lord, I just, I just want to declare that, uh, this is a no criticism zone, uh, Lord. And, and I, I forgive, Lord, you said whatever we forgive on earth is forgiven in heaven. Whatever we release on earth is released in the heavens. And so I just release that, Lord. We just push that aside. That we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be a place where, that we're not critical or critical. We're not, uh, uh, we don't criticize, Father, but, uh, uh and we don't complain. Lord, there's a complaint-free zone, Lord, uh, and that we celebrate, uh, Lord, uh, that diversity. That we renounce the, uh, 
any agreement with the accuser of the brethren. We're not going to agree with the devil. We're going to agree with you, Holy Spirit, that, that, that you've made your church holy and you're making your church spotless and that we want to be part of that church. Lord, and we rejoice that we can, we can do this together. I rejoice that, that this, this group of people in this room is, is part of my spiritual family. We're in the same army, you know, uh, 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 delegation uh, fighting this war, representing your kingdom. And I bless each man, woman, and child in here to, to experience the fullness of what it means to be part of your bride, the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Please stand up. Greet one another. Uh, especially if there's someone you don't, you don't recognize, you don't know. Get to know them. It's a big part of being church. And then I saw a giant box of those farmhouse bakery donuts, of which I cannot eat because I've gained like 20 pounds. <laughs> Mainly because of those donuts. <laughs> All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. <clears throat> oh, there's a prayer team up here. Luke is available to prayer. Pray for you if you have any prayer needs whatsoever. Uh,